Welcome, welcome, welcome. This is episode 199 of the Distraction Pieces podcast, and it's a bonus episode. As I've mentioned, there's going to be a few bonus ones in the coming weeks. It's not going to be every week, but this one, for example, I wanted to squeeze it out early because it's with Charlotte Haffley, who's amazing, and it's a wonderful chat, but there's an event that she's doing on April 22nd that I wanted to tell you all about kind of a week in advance to give you time to grab some t- some tickets and that, because I'm sure it'll sell out. But it's called Space Rocks, and it's in association with the European Space Agency. And Tim Peake will be there, the astronaut, Dr. Matt Taylor, and loads of other amazing panellists. Um, and it's at the Indigo 2 in London, so I recommend that. And that's what I said. That's one of the reasons I was like, I'd rather r- r- rush this out now than kind of allow it to wait its turn in the in the, in the the huge backlog of episodes I've got at the moment. We speak a lot about the music industry in this because we're both from the music industry and in the music industry. And we talk about the support, how important it is of having, you know, a loyal and excited fan base. And... By chance, this podcast is brought to you by speechdevelopmentrecords.com, <laughs> which is where you can go and support and buy stuff. There's podcast merch, there's, there's there's record label stuff, there's everything else. Check that out. I will also, I should mention as well now, um, I'm doing a live Distraction Pieces podcast. It's the first live one, or the only live one of this year, I think. I'm now looking at my phone to get the exact date i know it's may 20 i'm deflating it's may 27th i'll be at the wells comedy festival doing a live distraction pieces podcast anyone who's heard them before or come to them before you'll know they normally last two to three hours i've only got an hour slot but we're going to pack it it's going to be exciting the way i do the live ones is you guys in the audience are the guests so it's essential that you come <laughs> or there isn't a show so i urge you to come and yeah the way it works is i have a table or i have a chair and mics set up on stage and if you have something you'd like to discuss or a question you'd like to ask you come up and we discuss it um i have people message me every 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 month or so saying or would you ever consider having an ordinary person on the podcast, just a regular guy or girl? And that's what the live ones are. It's it's regular people because because everyone's got things they're passionate about or stories to tell or or or, or subjects that they feel deserve um, discussion. So yeah, that's the World's Comedy Festival. Come along to that. There's loads of amazing stuff there all weekend. If I'm honest, there's. Lemmy's there, Richard Herring's there, Sarah Pascal's there, um, Rod Gilbert, I think, is there. There's loads of really good people, so it's worth spending the weekend there. I'm going to be on the on the Saturday night, on the 27th, on the 26th, I'm going to be at the book club, because I've got my club night, We Are Lizards, with our guest that week is Doc Brown coming down and doing a DJ set, former podcast guest Doc Brown, so that'll be great. But yeah, grab tickets for that now if you can. I'm rambling on. I'm telling you to grab tickets for Space Rocks on April 22nd, for Wells Comedy Festival on May 27th. 
really, all you need to do is is listen to this wonderful podcast. Um, I'll be back at the end. Obviously, I mentioned on Wednesday, but next week, it's the 200th episode. This is incredibly exciting. It's with Jess Tom, who's amazing, um, who's a comedian and an actress and a performer and a creator of arts. Um, she also happens to have Tourette's. So it's it's just a wonderful conversation. I really enjoyed it. And I think you're going to enjoy it too. And it was a perfect fit for our 200th episode. So I'll be back next week with that. But for now, this is episode 199 with Charlotte Hatherley. My backup because okay. out of 190 episodes, I had one that I recorded and then I got to my hotel to check it and that it is, wasn't there and it was the heartbreaking. So, who was I'm that? So with? Overly, it was with Ben and Jerry's. No, <laughs> anyway, oh, okay. not the actual Ben and Jerry, but, <laughs> but people from Ben and Jerry's. <laughs> right, are, right. Are you okay? Before we started, we were talking of, of healthiness. So that's the yeah. epitome of the opposite. But it was a great, it was, I, was, I got to go to Ben and Jerry's headquarters and they've got this like barn okay. and they've got all the flavours there and you can have. A free ice cream, right? It was amazing. That does sound special. Um, I've done the 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 the, 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 the this is now a double p- podcast trope in that I've started casually mid conversation, yeah, and then the new podcast trope is acknowledging that that's a podcast trope. So okay. now it's just it's so so matter. But yeah, I'm joined by Sh- Charlotte Hathaway. How are you today? I'm all right. This I've got an enormous headache. Oh no! It is just like a mushroom cloud. Is it too much coffee or not enough coffee? Well, I' trying to quit, so it's partly co- coffee. It's partly I got all these. Um, I've got a terrible back at the moment. Right, <laughs> I've got shoulder problems. I've been working very hard. Yeah, so it's like a perfect storm, and it's just massive. But it's all right. I'm oh, going to plough through. Uh, what's caused your injuries? Is it because again, like t- touring life, people don't realise. The gigs aside, it can be really bad for your health. Like I, I used to mm. have to have my back kind of a, a realigned. And then, oh, yeah. then when I was in a, a run of tours, I just stopped because yeah. I was like, there's no point. I'm getting it fixed. And then I'm sitting in a, a the, in the back of a van for four yeah, it's, hours it's, and then sleeping in an uncomfortable bed. And It is designed to make you feel awful, terrible. But um, when I was 25, 26, I had all these jaw problems. I got like um, right. TMJ and I slipped a disc in the left hand side of my jaw and I had like really clicky jaw and then the click stopped so I went to yeah. the dentist and, and I said that's that's a good thing right and they were yeah. like no you've worn it away oh wow <laughs> so I slipped a disc and and then uh, I just had all these problems and headaches and shoulder problems and then because I play guitar the strap goes across my left hand yeah. side and that exacerbates the problem um, so I started doing yoga I've been doing yoga for like 15 years how's that been? Amazing. It's only the last five years I've really taken it. Like, I, I started doing it for physical stuff and then yeah. I got all these mental health benefits from it. And yeah. I got really into it. Um, so that's really saved me, I think, because the artists I'm w- working with at the moment, we've been traveling around carrying just like massive flight cases. Yeah. And I'm uh, just not as young as I used to be. Or, or, <laughs> I can't deal it. with it. I mean, you've kind of had 
the bulk of a lifetime in that touring life, which again isn't that healthy That's physically. Carrying I, shit. I remember the first time I saw you live, um, I was way too young. Um, and we're around the same age, so right, you were right. way too young as well. And it was a V97, <laughs> and you were oh, yeah. in front of 50,000 people. That was my first gig. Uh, with Ash. With and Ash. I, again, I was thinking about it last night, because I look back now and think, I didn't know what to do at a festival there. I drank too much. I dehydrated. <laughs> I was a mess. And, and years later, I became a festival veteran, and I could do them uh, yeah. right and get the most of it. But then realising, oh, and you were on the other side of that, well, I had, around the same age. I had guidance, yeah. sort of sort of guidance with you know you have a tour manager and yeah adults uh around but that either that was my first gig and i, th- I think we did warm warm-up gig the day before or maybe it's a couple of days before in belfast so that was actually my official first gig amazing and then we did v night seven yeah and I, I wish i could access my 18 year old brain i just can't remember how i felt about it or what was going through my mind um i was obviously shitting myself yeah um, yeah i was pretty shy girl i mean i, I w- had been in a band for like two two years previously yeah a band called night nurse and we'd done a lot of like london the london circuit so i'd gone from the dublin castle to v97 v- yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. it's pretty mental that's mad though because it, it 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 can't be it can't have been easy particularly at that point being that, or I guess it was a time when there was an openness to a lot of young bands. I also remember at V97 was R- Radish with, with Ben Quella, with, and he was about <laughs> yeah, 15 or he was 16. Baby. And so it seemed to be a time when there was, not that it was a niche or a novelty, but there was an openness. You mm. didn't have to be a, 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 a grizzled veteran. You could oh, be yeah. these young, exciting, yeah. passionate bands. And Ash were a great example of that, because particularly early days, they were so kind of squeaky and yeah arms hanging out of their clothes kind of thing yeah. yet were being quite rocky and i don't know i know it feels like a few years later they would have been turned away at the door every time i said come back in 10 years <laughs> yeah 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 oh, when you've grown some stubble and got some scars yeah sure but it felt like that was a time where you could go no let's just hear this it excitement was, it was an exciting time but it was on the back of Britpop. i think ash yeah. was like because they're from northern ireland they were really Influenced by Nirvana and Weezer, yeah, American rock. Um, so I don't think they they saw themselves as part of the Britpop scene, but yeah. obviously they completely. they were. A girl from Mars and all that. I completely associate all that yeah. artwork and everything as yeah. part of that Britpop. Well, I had I used era. to record Steve Demack's the evening session onto onto tape and listen to it on the way to school. And I had Jack Names of Planets on like a compilation tape with yeah. next to like the Blue Tones and Sleeper, yeah. And, yeah. and it was it was. I was so lucky. I, I was 16 when Definitely Maybe and Blur Record came out. Yeah. And I was in a band rehearsing at the same place, like at the Fortress, which is just around the corner from here, in like Angel um, Islington. And Elastica were there, Pulp were there, Suede were sort of hanging about. Mad, <laughs> it, it was mad. And I was like 15 when I joined my first band. So they were around. And then when I joined Ash... You were suddenly like sharing festival bills and backstages with all yeah. these people that it was pretty mad. And it was such a special time for the music scene. And I'm actually a patron of the Music Venues Trust. And a lot of what we talk about is how venues are closing down left, right and centre and 
especially yeah. rehearsal spaces. I was going to say practice rooms as well. Cause yeah, you. I guess you're lucky in that way that you were you grew up in in London. Yeah, I did right. But yeah. at that point in particular, everyone was kind of migrating to London. So mm. all these rehearsal rooms yeah. in East London, in South London. Yeah, that, yeah. You you could have walked in any day and yeah. bumped into a blur, a, totally. an oasis or, or whoever. Yeah. So you take that away and you put it all into the bedroom, which is great that the technology mm. has progressed, that people can record at home and all that kind of thing. But yeah. you can't become part of a scene or build a community in that no, situation. No, and I think it's really important, the, the connections you make when you're part of that scene. And there, there are people that I bump into now who were in bands at the time who've gone on to manage bands or even work at labels. Yeah. And I'm like, oh, do you remember the, the legendary Fortress rehearsal studio parties? And yeah. it's just a, a nice common thread through all the bands that I've worked with. There's always people that I have was hanging out with when, when I was a teenager. Yeah. And it's very different. It is very different these days. I, I think it would be really hard to be a young band. Yeah. yeah it's unless tough. you've got uh, money. Again, you've got... It's a great point there as well because it is in those situations that you start to learn and realise that there's more to the music industry than just being the person holding the guitar or the person holding the microphone. Mm. If you're in those circles, you can gain the experience so that even if your musical career doesn't quite go how you'd want, you can learn that tour managers are a key thing Mm -hmm. and sound men and engineers and all these other kind of areas of the industry that... Again, if you're sat at home, all you can see is the finished product. You can't yeah, see yeah. everything that's moving up, yeah. up, up behind it. If a bigger band are in that practice room, they've probably got a driver who's bringing them there. Yeah, and they've got yeah. all these other things that who are waiting around and you can yeah. talk to and learn. I know it sounds almost yeah fantastic to, to, to think of it or a, a fantasy in some way, but there are all these kind of mm. old roadies and all these oh, other things sure. that you can go, oh, wow. My, ba- I'm actually not that good a guitarist, so <laughs> so maybe I can do that instead. Yeah, and but also these days, <laughs> it's a whole thing about diversifying because the music industry's suffered a lot. Yeah, as as has print media and a lot of uh, artier things. So you don't get that specialised thing. Yeah. So you get like a tour manager who does sound, who also drives, who does yeah. a bit of this, a bit of that. Completely and. Uh, it's almost like a sort of that phenomenon of like a bass tech or a lighting engineer, someone who do does a very specific job, and unless you get to a you know a level where you, you can pay for it, yeah, you're not going to be able to get that. And I think that is that is a shame. And it's a bit of a weird gif, isn't it? Because the the record industry, the music industry has changed hugely on the record side of things on how people make money, but live is as big as it's ever been. It's kind yeah. of at a peak. You, you kind of it's see bands the most important thing. got their album out yet and they're playing, they're headlining yeah. Brixton. So it it always, I look at that and think it's a bit of a jip when they're turning around and saying, oh, we have to have a guy who's tour manager, this, yeah. this, and this. It's like, well, the live part of it, that's the bit that you should be paying. Yeah, you know totally. what I mean? That should all pay, that should feed yeah. itself as such. Yeah, totally. You have to put investment in, t- in those early stages or yeah. else you're not going to get to that to that stage where you'll you jump up to the bigger venues and you know i've 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 been doing session work for years now and i've played with all sorts of different people yeah. and you can see like the bands who've got label support behind them 
you know, compared to the bands who are like sort of left to their own devices or even doing it independently. All my solo stuff I do independently. Yeah. I pay for yeah. everything myself and and I cut, have to cut corners and it, it pains me at times. I'm like, God, if I had the budget, I've, you know, you had all yeah. these grand plans. But then, you know, there is something to be said about working within constrictions. Yeah, which is completely. My, but it's learning the, the advantages <laughs> of pushing those constrictions. Like, oh, I, yeah. I, I stopped touring three years ago now and it was only on our last ever tour after t- t- 10 years of touring that we had a lighting guy yeah and i didn't realize how much of a difference that made it was oh, the best yeah. performances we've ever done i felt like a rock star rather than just me on stage yeah. and it felt like it changed everything yeah. and, and i was so frustrated that we didn't spend out on that earlier we kind of yeah. had that overly cautious thing of oh we can't really afford this it's like do we need a lighting guy that yeah. There's in-house lights and stuff like that. And it, it made all the difference. So yeah, absolutely. It is a weird one. It is. It would be nice. That... Yeah. It's just like you never really want to compromise on, on what you want to do. Yeah. Like with the, I've got, I've only got a few solo gigs coming up, but I'm, I'm like projections and yeah. all these like sort of aesthetic considerations. And then when it comes down to it, I'm like, how much is that? How much, how much is it going to cost? And can you justify it? I suppose. Yeah. Yeah, but exactly. Can, it's the do... justification of it, isn't it? Yeah particularly in an industry where a lot of the pay on live, there's a guarantee and a potential upturn, but mm. the potential isn't guaranteed. Yeah. So it's that, it's that fear of you, you you could come out of it having not spent much because you've been cautious and then it all sells out and you, you break 80% or whatever and you get this extra, yeah, yeah, extra yeah. win for and then you're kind of like, oh, I wish I'd, yeah. wish I'd spent more. <laughs> yeah, I've, I've made it's the mistake gamble. of... I've made the mistake of being like, oh, I'll just do it myself. Yeah. and Like for videos and things and maybe because I'm a bit of a control freak, but also for like budget concerns. Yeah. And then you just end up like working so many hours on something and you're like, I should have just spent 200, 300 quid for someone to do it. I mean, 100%. that's you kind of like learn after a while. It's like, it is worth paying someone to do a good job. I think that's... I Everyone think that's, wants shit yeah. for free. I think that's days. a great thing to learn though. To, to I think a great way to learn the value even just of, of other people, is to have done mm. that job yourself and go, yeah. oh, right. Because, again, initially you'll start off and go, well, they're all here to see us. It's, it's, it's our songs. Why am I paying this person this Mm-mm. much? If you do a tour where you're doing the driving yourself or the, the, the tour manager yeah. yourself, you suddenly go, oh, that's why I'm paying them this much. Yeah, yeah. You know, it exactly. warrants it. So I think it's a good way to learn the value of Definitely. everything in the industry. Yeah. Yeah. Very important not to uh, cut corners, I think, yeah. especially if you're like, like you say, like the live aspect of it is so important, and that's where you're going to get signed, or that's where you, like I've got a gig next week where it's all like, oh, Jules Holland's um, a TV plug is coming, and I'm like, right. fucking hell, oh dear, gotta be good. Yeah, <laughs> is there, I think, something that comes to mind when I look at your career is um, the benefit of being grounded or being humble because you've always kind of or, or after ash cunning you you branched out on doing solo stuff but as you mentioned you did also mm. p- play with other bands yeah and be a, a session musician there was no no i'm i'm the artist here yeah it was yeah. like you, you jumped on with people and i'm sure we did a few festivals together when you were with bat for lashes and bat yeah, lashes yeah. had an amazing live show and an amazing mm. always made me think of of your prints and people like that, when you think of Bat Flashes or Prince as this individual, and then you go to the show and you realise that they've put together 
this whole collection mm. of talented artists yeah, yeah. to to bring that performance to life. So was yeah. that important to you to go, right, no, I'm a musician. Regardless mm. of if I'm at the front of the stage, in the middle or at the back, I need to be creating and part of this. Yeah. I think I never, when I did my first side of record, I mean, I was still with Ash. And I think it, I just wanted a creative outlet because I, I knew that those songs would never be on an Ash record. And yeah. I, I did some co-writing with Tim and Mark, but... um I was perfectly happy to just do it. And I'd met Eric Drew Feldman, who was the producer who played with Captain Beefheart and he was a friend of a friend. And then Rob Ellis um, drummed on it. I collaborated with PJ Harvey and I met these like amazing um, collaborators. And I was like, well, why wouldn't I do that? So I just did this sort of lo-fi little record and had real, really no desire to be up front on stage and when I left Ash I mean I did I did another record and then I did do some solo touring but I realised quite quickly it wasn't it wasn't really right for me right and I always thought that I should I mean I started out as a drummer and I always thought ah you know that suits me yeah. to be at the back and right, yeah, sort yeah, of yeah. feel like strong and stable at the back yeah and so when I worked with um I started doing more session stuff and actually meeting Natasha was quite a big turning point for me because I'd had two or three years of not really knowing what I was going to do. And it's like my, I was like 26, 27 and I broke up with my boyfriend, left this band that was such a huge part of my life. And I didn't really have any any income. I didn't really have any money. hadn't saved because, you know, I was young and stupid. Yeah. And then I met, well, I, actually the first thing I did was some Brian Ferry session work which Amazing. was hilarious and I got this voicemail saying do you want to go to Kazakhstan with Brian Ferry and play guitar and I was like uh-huh that's insane yeah so I, I can't it was like just this this whole thing <laughs> that was recorded through my like career of just like random contacts of yeah. like someone recommended me and and that was that so I did so, lots of corporate it was all corporate gigs yeah um so it's like private jets and like russian millionaire parties Amazing. and sardinian boats and it was so silly and so much fun and then i met natasha and when i was 30 and she's the same age as me and we just really connected yeah. and it and that was the first woman that i'd actually been in a band with and played yeah. with and that was two years with natasha maybe two two and a half years and then after natasha i played with katie tunsell for two years and then i sort of did another side of record i took a big break from it and i guess i just always wrote on the side yeah and i had this collection of stuff but every side of record i put out i think that is the last time i do that yeah um and i'm always sort of drawn back to it but it's not out really not of a desire to um draw attention to myself i'm much happier to be at the side of stage um in a supportive role and and that really makes me happy and i i've been so lucky i've just never worked with 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 dickheads i think just work wonderful people it's it's a great way to write is if you can break yourself from that cycle of oh i have to write an album to release i mean so you become Mm. in the industry yeah you're writing if you're thinking oh i'm done now then, then, then when another album comes, it's because you've got something to say musically mm. and you've got something to, to get across yeah. and get out rather than... because you want to do oh, it. there's demand for it or there's this or I need to get 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 back on stage or things like that. Yeah, and I think now... 
like with this new record, um, I'm doing, well, I did it, I released it last year through Pledge Music yeah. and then it's coming out properly in June. Um, but doing it that way, you're free from any time scales and yeah. you're just releasing singles when you want to release. I mean, it's almost coming up to a year since it was out via Pledge and I'm doing another single and there's no like, oh, you've got to deliver something three months up front to radio or yeah. anything like that. And all festival seasons on its way, yeah. so we need a single before then. And this yeah, like, no. and I do live gigs that I want to do because I do so much touring with other people. Like The last thing I want to do is get in the van yeah. and play the same venues I've played a hundred times. And so when this Space Rocks um, festival came up, yes, um, which we'll talk about, I'm sure. Yeah, we'll get uh, into that in detail. I was like... Yes, yeah. that that is exactly the sort of gigs that I want to do for my own thing. And then I spend the majority of my other time um, working with different musicians. How, I mean, we'll get on to Space Rocks next because I want to just nerd out on sci-fi stuff and space stuff um, sure. for a big chunk. Originally I was going to start <laughs> with that, but I know, I know you... Are your fan base listening will be pleased that we've talked about a, a music for at least a good section of okay, it. Okay, yeah. Um, <laughs> How was it? I mean, you mentioned that working with Natasha Khan was the first time you'd worked with a female-led mm. band. The kind of... The, where Britpop happened, it was kind of at the end of the rock and punk thing in the UK where you had bands like Kanicki and, 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 and female-based stuff. But yeah. when Britpop then blew up, it gradually morphed into quite a lad culture type thing. Mm -hmm. By the time it was Blur and Oasis and it was at Redden and Leeds and yeah. it was quite b blokey and geezers and lads. Yeah. And I think it's one of the reasons that you stood out a lot as as a female in the middle of that, as I should come into this kind of, of, of world. Mm. How was all that at the time? Or, or was it something that, that ever felt strange or uncomfortable? Or was it something that you only reflected upon when you were then in, in working yeah. with with a women that you're like all oh, right this yeah is how it could be or should be it's it's it is interesting um how my opinion has changed now i think at the time the first band i was in nightness the singer was like this israeli riot girl yeah and she introduced me to my buddy valentine and actually quite a lot of american sort of riot girl scene which was very female heavy yeah which is like probably slightly before Britpop, yeah like l7 and yeah, hole completely. and i was a massive a fan of siamese dream god i love that yeah. record um darcy and then later melissa after Murr and all these like female musicians um pj harvey mm -hmm. uh i loved so i and they never made a big deal out of me being a girl and playing guitar at school I don't remember my dad or my mum ever making a big deal about yeah. it. So I never felt like it was weird until I joined Ash and then it was like such a massive deal. It's like, wow, they've got a girl. Because it's, it's that external thing that suddenly it's made a big deal out of nowhere. Mm -hmm. it, it didn't feel as if Ash thought twice about it. It didn't feel as if, if you'd yeah. thought twice about it. But as soon as the pop media got involved, mm. Enemy or whoever else, it was like... <gasps> Yeah. There's a girl. Isn't it <laughs> it's strange? kind of so nerdy, isn't it? It's like, girl, there's a girl over there. It's and like, it's so weird. Right, play it cool. <laughs> because, I mean, maybe they were, I mean, they were kind of poppy pinups at the same time as being yeah. indie. Yeah. Completely. And so I got a lot of girls saying, oh, you must be sleeping with Tim or, yeah. you know, sort of weird jealousy. Um, of course, yeah. And, but it was funny, really, because I, I look at photos of me at that time. I had short hair. I was skinny. I was just like a. I looked like a sort of 
just so young and yeah. like a like a little boy really i wasn't i, I wasn't a sexy young girl right. at all and it took me years really to to be comfortable with that whole right. yeah, thing yeah, yeah. and then after free all angels was like number one record there was a lot of me and tim got asked to be on the front covers yeah. um and then it, the being a girl in the band became more of a thing how did you find that because <laughs> it, it is always the, ex, the <laughs> external thing because again i remember it, it very well as being not only there's a, a there's a hot girl in the band. And again, you've never, if you've grown up, <laughs> never cons- considering yourself that or thinking yourself in that way. Yeah. On one side, it'll be, it'll be quite nice. Cause it is, it's like, wow, mm. this is weird. L- empowering. I look at who I am. Yeah. On the other side, it's like, well, fuck, I'm a musician. I'm yeah. not just, I'm that, that isn't all I am. Yeah. You, you know? get, I used to get a lot of, oh, you never smile on stage. And right, yeah. you, or you get reviews. I <laughs> know, oh, and I'm like, have you seen the fucking state of the yeah. other boys? I mean, <laughs> they're not exactly uh, <laughs> looking like they're having fun. Yeah. And it's um, and then you get like reviews or live reviews, and be like, Ice Queen, yeah. Charlotte Hatherley. And I think I don't so know what it was. I don't know whether it's like <sighs> maybe I have a, I had a certain aloofness about me on stage. Right. Yeah. Um, because I was shy, and yeah. I wouldn't. I mean. I'm a bit older now and that has got easier for me. But at that time it was, it was, it was quite hard and I, and we drank a lot and I had to have several drinks to get up on stage yeah. and, and be, be in that perf- sort of rock performance mode. And then when I l- left and then I did other session stuff and meeting Natasha, I think really softened me because I, I had, this um quite a hard shell i think that being with ash had sort of made me toughen up right and i felt like i couldn't show any weakness really because i was the only girl not just in the band like we toured with 14 there was like 14 blokes on the tour bus and there was there were no special favors and it was sort of made clear from day one it's like we're not going to carry your bags yeah you look after your own shit Great. And, you know, and, and that was been really good for me to have that sort of instilled because now I'm, I'm, I became very independent. However, I felt as though I couldn't be girly. I couldn't be emotional. I right. didn't want to cause a scene. Yeah. And I think I shrugged off the questions of what's it like to be a girl. And I was like, eh, whatever. It's not no big deal. And I think as I got older, I thought, actually, no, I do want to talk about that. And it yeah. is important. I just didn't want to draw attention to it. So anyway, the funny thing with me and Natasha, because she's such a fucking massive hippie. Yeah. The first day when we got on a tour bus with her, her tour manager was giving out these little um, stones, like gemstones. Amazing. I was like, put this under your pillow. You could put this under your pillow. My initial reaction was like, oh, my God, what is this? And then you get on the bus and say, so have your little gemstone. And then it's green teas and face masks. Cause we had a female tour manager, yeah. female merch girl, Sarah Jones was drumming. And it was like, it was like a pajama party every night. It, and it took me a while, but then I was like, actually, this is awesome. This is really nice. This, this is, is better. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah, this is a better way to do yeah, it. Yeah. And I sort of softened up. And then after, yeah, then I talked with Katie. And then I've actually recently spent two years touring with Birdie. Mm -hmm. And as I get older, you know, I was always the youngest. Yeah. Um, 
and now I find myself sort of becoming the oldest in the band. And I, I love it. I love playing yeah. that role of sort of, you know, cumulative experience. Yeah, and it like, must be nice to have that feeling because if your first gig is in front of 50,000, or first gig with Ash is in front of 50,000 yeah. people, and then when you decide to do your first solo stuff, you've got a profile already, so there's already mm-hmm. demand and expectation. You must always kind of feel that you're catching up or am I meant to be here? The, the, the yeah. constant feeling everyone has of in, yeah, imposter yeah. syndrome. Whereas now you're at a point where you can go, well, actually, yeah, I've got a lot of experience and mm. I'm comfortable and I know this, rather than that constant experimenting on your first solo stuff, but instantly yeah, you know it's yeah. going to get reviewed in NME and in all these places. Like, yeah. Figuring it out, man. Give yeah, yeah, yeah. And it, it's interesting working with younger artists because you can see the pressure and the promo treadmill that yeah. I've sort of went through with Ash, and I, and I really understand it and the insecurities that you go through when you read back interviews. Oh my yeah. god, was, I'm so glad I was. In, uh, it was just before social media and yeah. Twitter and that stuff. Yeah. And, uh, thank God. Yeah. God, it makes you insecure. Yeah. It's of horrible. Course. Again, it's that it's it's throwing a million questions at you in one day, and then expecting you to answer in a way that you stand by for the rest of your life, yeah. let alone for the rest of that day. Yeah, in it's a kind world of on the where spot, answer this, what yeah. is it like? For, uh, well, in a world where everything's black and white, and there's yeah. no like you have to have opinions, and you can't, you're not allowed to change your mind. I mean, I've I've read stuff back that I've said in interviews. I'm like that's absolute bullshit like i didn't mean it it's good to change your mind it should be a positive I change thing. my mind all the time like people call me out on all sorts of stuff going well you said this a few years ago it's like yeah i, I hope i've improved in the last yeah, few yeah, years yeah. or that. sometimes you're just trying out a theory yeah. you're feeding something out i learned very quickly not to do that yeah in an interview context yeah, exactly it's a <laughs> tough one so um you've got the space rocks gig which looks amazing to me it's in association with the space agency and it reminded me instantly i did these gigs for years with a, a robin Ince and professor yeah. a, a brian cox yeah yeah it would be a scientist and then a comedian and then a musician and that cycle and they were gigs i did every year and i accepted them almost forgetting i had to actually get up and perform and, and do something because the mm-hmm. excitement was seeing everything else that's going on and this yeah. is with tim peak the, 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 the astronaut with Dr. Matt Taylor, who yeah. is a listener of the podcast, and all sorts of amazing people. So, yeah. how much are you excited to play, and how much are you excited to just be there and watch and learn and take everything in? Yeah, uh, it's kind of a tough balance, right? Equal. I mean, I haven't done a live gig for years, a solo live gig. Yeah. Um, and this, and and your last album was, uh, you know, a story of an astronaut. Of, yeah. So it's 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 why that fits, and it's why it's a perfect place to. Exactly. Well, I did. Yeah, this record, True Love, is um, it's a really personal collection of uh, songs written in, in the aftermath of a of a breakup, and I had taken quite a long break from doing solo stuff, so I. At that time, it, I was I released some songs under the name Silver Tongue, and it was very it's like a massive indulgence of my love for eighties sci fi films. Yeah. It was very like Mad Max, Fate for Leather Trousers, quite outlandish chainmail, and then I released an EP, and then I sort of got asked to do the soundtrack to this short film, which was by uh, Gavin Rothery, 
who was a con- sci-fi concept uh, artist designer, yeah. and he worked on Moon with Duncan Jones. Oh, and wow. Super cool. And um, so I wrote the soundtrack for him, which took a few months. And then, as a return of favour, he directed the first video up for a sign. Fantastic. So we had this massive like sci-fi geek out, and it was all low budget. It was only four of us, but we went down to a beach and filmed me dressed up as a alien, um, as an ode to sort of Tarkovsky, Man Who Fell to Earth, yeah. sci-fi, realist yeah. realism. And then when a sign went online, um, Mark McCorkran from the ESA got in touch with me. So, so he said, I got this message from the senior uh, advisor at the European Space Agency saying, hey, we do lots of um, collaborative work with musicians. I really like this. And do you want to meet up? And I was like, yes. That's amazing. It was like exactly what I wanted, really, because I was, I wanted it to be very cinematic. And I suppose because I do music, it's such a huge part of my life, like the industry side of it and yeah. touring and all that stuff. Um, I don't listen to music to relax and film became my my thing. And I thought if I want to switch off, I'll go to the cinema and I'll watch film and yeah. got really into soundtracks listening to film soundtracks rather than um, music by people, by bands. And so for it to connect with that sort of audience, so to work with Gav on a short film and then to meet Mark, um, it was just so cool. And then through Mark, I met Alexander Milas, who put the festival together. And and I think, um, you know, Mark's so good at connecting people. Yeah. And I guess part of his job at the ESA is to go beyond the science, probably quite inaccessible science side of of the whole thing. And he's such a great communicator. He does all these presentations all around the world. And um, he is fascinating to talk to and just wants to bring... And he's a massive music fan, so he just wants to bring... the the science and the culture together yeah. and make it accessible to kids. So there's a big like daytime stuff, which is great for families. And then I think they're going to get, they'll, they'll have film people and yeah. um, a couple of bands. And then uh, Tim Peak. Yeah. So cool. It's amazing. Right? And, yeah. And it's like a special, it's a special event for, rather than just, um, you know, another gig. Yeah. I love it. It's, it's, it's a, it's a thing that I think you learn from being in the industry for a while that you're going to get a lot more out of it if you switch you, you, your your focus to doing the things that you're excited to do. And yeah. Rather than the goals of this chart position or this venue or whatever else, which you do fall into in the industry, it's yeah. natural. But but when you can go, oh, wow, I'm working with people who've, mm. who worked on Moon and, and yeah, things like that, yeah. that becomes the excitement. Yeah. And then I think the beauty there, like all artistic endeavours, is you've achieved your goal once you've made it mm-hmm. rather than on the viewing figures or on the record sales and else. For the sure. goal is achieved once you've done that yeah, and then the rest, sure. it doesn't really matter, which yeah. is far more rewarding yeah. than, than, than living off social media's reaction to it or this or that or anything else. Yeah. Like, oh, we made it. Yeah. That's the goal. That's the achievement. Yeah, exactly. And I'm, I'm, at, I'm kind of at the stage with social media where, I, you know, I'm not... They're not massively well known, really. So the people who follow me or respond to stuff, they're they're just nice. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> I don't get any uh, any horrible people. So the people who get in touch are sort of genuine sci-fi fans. Yes, yeah. and you know, this is the kind of 
when I look back at the assigned video, I think, oh, well, that's quite weird, I suppose. But yeah. it's the kind of thing that I think is cool. And then you just meet other people who are, like, mad into it. Into it. So it makes me happy. And uh, let's talk about uh, sci-fi a bit. I, I want to talk about what you've got planned for, for the performance, if it's yeah. going to be nice and simple or bespoke for the event. But, but let's just talk about sci-fi for a bit. Uh, when did you become a big fan of sci-fi? Well, my dad is a writer and he is also a teacher and he was, um, when I was growing up, he taught at London Polytechnic and I used to go and hang out with him and he was friends with them, really close friends with Brian Aldiss and in fact he was Brian Aldiss's agent for a while. So I would hang out with him when I was a kid and we'd holiday in Brian's home and that was sort of my first introduction to science fiction is through hanging out with Brian Aldiss and then dad was also a huge Philip K. Dick fan and he's yeah. like a member of the Philip K. Dick fan club. So yeah, there's like massive collection, like every single book, all these Brian Aldiss books, all these Philip K. Dick books. And I would just re- look at the front covers when I was a kid yeah. of these like books from the 50s and the 60s, really psychedelic and surreal yeah. book covers. Like they just don't do them these like that anymore. These worlds that... Yeah. Getting and and Philip K. Dick was kind of the king of the insane concept, and the artists mm. he worked with seemed to be the kings of of summing that 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 up in an image. So so yeah. you could just kind of look and go, that's the one I want to read. Yeah, and, yeah, and, yeah. And generally deliver on what it. Do you know what I mean? You, you've yeah. got the idea from it, and you'll, you'll jump into that. And some of them are like terrifying. Yeah. <laughs> um, and sort of uh, when I got old enough to start reading them. Those Philip K. Dick books, I just, I just love them. Yeah, they're just brilliant, and you know they were written in the fifties and the sixties, but in the fifties, that's when like quantum physics and quantum mechanics was yeah. like starting to be a thing, and so these incredible science fiction writers were like writing about stuff that is completely relevant now. Like even yeah. a film like Interstellar yeah. is is talking about the same stuff that they were like 50, 60 oh, years oh, ago. Well, oh, 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 Interstellar is, is, a, is a prime example of the of, 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 of how sci-fi can advise science. And, mm. and well, I, I one of the stories from Interstellar was when the director was, was, was trying to depict a black hole. He, he hit up, up NASA and got mm. all the data and they, 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 they sent all the raw data and he created it and, Basically, the technology he had was in advance of what they had because mm. it's, it's it's Hollywood, it's it's, yeah. it's industry, and they created it. And then uh, when he sent the images back to NASA or whoever else, they were like, "Oh, what's this?" And they found stuff that they hadn't seen mm. in the data. But when it's translated into this image, it yeah. then advised them that they were then able to then go and yeah. study and get not huge amounts more, but a bit more understanding. Yeah. Of a black hole. That's from, so interesting. From a film, from going yeah. back and forth, because he had the money and budget to go, well, sci-fi effects, there's huge money in that. That's a huge industry. It's, mm. it's, it's the one thing or one of the main things that potentially is going to keep cinema alive, because mm. that's the stuff that you need to see on a big screen. Yeah, the yeah. gritty drama, you can wait until it's on Netflix, or you can yeah. wait until it's on, on yeah. Sky or whatever else. Whereas if you've got a truly amazing special effects film, you need to see it on the big screen and with the big sound and everything. Sure. So, yeah, it's a fascinating one how yeah. they can, can, can advise each other. The way that they did the visualisation in Interstellar of those, like, multiple dimensions, yeah. um, it, there's something about, like, I need to, I'm visual, 
Yeah. And I need something to be like explained, like shown to me to really understand it. And I, I wish that a lot of those, uh, you know, like science books, new science books that I read or even books about quantum physics is like, like I kind of get it, but not yeah. really. And then you not see it brought see to life like that yeah. and, and you can sort of walk. It's almost like you can walk around it like it's a 3D model yeah. and you can see it from all the angles. And you're like, oh, right. Now I understand it. Yeah. I, th- I love that. That's why the yeah, the, co- the collaboration of between science and art is is so it's important, crucial, right? Because there's and I don't think it's a dumbing down or anything like that. But there's a certain amount of people who will l- l- go and listen to Tim Peake talking and giving a lecture, or or or, or Dr. Matt Taylor or whoever else. But there's a certain amount of people who won't, and mm. they would go to just see the big new film out. So mm. to to address things, I talk about this a lot with with race and with all sorts of other stuff i think it's crucial having these stories tackled in dramas and, and not just in documentaries n- not just in lectures but in dramas and and, and fictional stories because mm. there's a certain audience it wouldn't it reaches that mm. that you wouldn't draw into a book and you might then then lead them on to uh, yeah. lectures and things like that but yeah you wouldn't otherwise no um i i'm a bit i'm a bit are worried about sci-fi and this is just we're just having conversations that i've been needing to, to, to have okay. with people i think we're at a great point because clearly someone at netflix is a big sci-fi fan because there's been altered carbon and mute obviously duncan jones is yeah. kind of follow up to moon in the same in the same world um annihilation which i've not not watched yet but I everyone is saying is last mine. night is it good Everyone's raving about it because I thought Ex Machina was and and Dread, who the director yeah, yeah, yeah. and writer did before them, are two of my favourites. I think they're beautiful yeah. depictions of visions of a of a utopian kind of future. Mm. Uh, there, there are elements of Annihilation that I thought were amazing, yeah, and other bits of it that like, it's, that's actually a good example of a film that you, I need to watch again. And I think that's yeah. not a bad thing. That's actually a really good thing. And that's the thing that scares me a little is the amazing sci-fi that's being made. It's a double-edged sword because I think it's stuff that's being made that maybe wouldn't have been made without Netflix. But all of these sci-fi in particular, I think, is something that should be seen on the big screen. It shouldn't be seen at home. It takes a little bit of the impact and the awe and wonder away I've if you're watching it on a screen in your living room. I've got a pretty big screen at home. Yeah, perfect. <laughs> um, enormous television, but... I watched Auto Carbon. Oh, what did you think of it? I really enjoyed. It's got I, good ideas, but I that's don't it. it was know. the ideas I really enjoyed, and I thought I the main guy was too many gorgeous. tits. Um, it's like tits left, right, and centre. There was tits left, it's right. Comp- I just don't yeah. get why in the future there's strip clubs and tits out and yeah. prostitutes. It's such an old trope. That you see, I'm it's weird because so the, thing, bored with. the thing that I remember the most was 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 him being naked, and and because again, I just thought he was. Like he's been, he looked like a statue. <laughs> it was like a thing carved yeah. out of marble. I thought yeah. it was amazing, but yeah, I guess there was a lot of on both sides of that. I don't know. I, it's it's telling that I was so distracted by his body and didn't didn't notice all the alien tits. Um, <laughs> go go back and look at the tits. I will. Don't worry about that. <laughs> Believe me, they're, they're there. Um, Mute had a similar. I had similar issues with. Yeah. Again, like really cool ideas, but it was such a throwback visually to Blade Runner. And even the most recent Blade Runner, I was like, it didn't really emotionally engage me. It didn't move me. It was pretty good to look at. Yeah. And, but it's the sci-fi films like a rival 
destroyed me, Interstellar yeah. destroyed me. I like to be moved. Um, and that's the sci-fi that I love where it's like hum- the human condition being. Yeah. I mean, that's kind of what I liked about <laughs> M- Mute, though, was the discomfort in watching it, that it wasn't Blade Runner. It felt you could just sit there and switch off and look at how, how pretty it was. Mm. Mute, I felt, threw up a lot of things that it's like... I don't know. Had me un- had 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 me uncomfortable as a as a viewer in the story, right, rather right, than individuals right. or anything else. Which again, that that excites me. I think it's why, or I think it then puts it at the mercy of reviewers because reviewers are watching a sci-fi in particular want yeah all singing all dancing. I mean, it was it was a pre- pretty brutal response to mute and. Yeah. Yeah, I hear what you're saying because Autocarbon and then Mute and um, Annihilation's actually pretty good. I mean, that was just dumped on Netflix yeah, yeah. because that wasn't like a Netflix thing. But the what the, my favourite sci-fi thing that is a Netflix thing was Black Mirror. And that was, yeah. on a, I mean, that can't have been a massive budget, probably more than no, you get on, on the BBC. But it, it the ideas in Black Mirror are phenomenal. And the first episode of the new series... Yeah. Uh, it was just which one was that? mind blowing. The guy who has his fantasy um, sort of Star Trek. Yes, yes, of course. Yeah, the kind of the, the VR type just world type. Dark thing. and yeah, it was amazing. Like, the script's amazing, and I think I know that's the stuff that I miss with the the, the sci-fi that I watch that I'm really not that into. It's just like the, the sort of interesting visuals or interesting ideas. Yeah, but this just the storytelling. It's like. Um, was a, the Ridley Scott, uh, the Prometheus, and it's yeah. like, I wanted to love it. The script was so fucking yeah. terrible. I, I, you, for me, if you can't get past that, then yeah. it's, it's a struggle. I think uh, one of the unhailed g- geniuses of Black Mirror is the fact that it's standalone st- stories and it allows you that if there's one or two in the series that you weren't particularly into, yeah. you're still like, that was an amazing series. And all you talk yeah. about is the great ones. Whereas, yeah. Altered Carbon, as an example, ev- pretty much every Netflix series has a mid-season lull, which blows right, my right. mind when it's on digital. It's like, just have less episodes. Yeah, you're in yeah, control. Yeah. You've not got a schedule to fit. But yeah. with Black M- Mirror, there will be certain ones that you're like, I'm not, I didn't enjoy that that much, but on to the next one. Yeah. It doesn't make you cr- cr- critique the whole series because yeah. there will be the ones that just blow your mind. And I think that's, that's yeah. genius. That's San so Junipero was, was, San was like leagues level, ahead right? of like the other, for me personally, the other episodes in that series. Yeah. But that was, that was like fucking amazing. Yeah. And Hang the so DJ good. In, in this recent series as well, I thought was, was Hang the DJ and the, the dating one. Yeah. That was brilliant. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. 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 And you know, like simple, simple stories, yeah. not a big cast, and yeah. not loads of like effects. And that's what I like. I like in in the first series of, of Black Mirror, I enjoyed it, but I came away thinking half of those episodes I would have enjoyed just as much if you just told me about it in a sentence, mm. like the the like the the, the prime minister has to to fuck a pig, right? Like this, right. That. And it's like that's all I need. I didn't actually yeah, need to yeah, watch yeah. that front. It was these cool little ideas that yeah. I don't know if they they benefited from becoming a drama because mm. the drama wasn't necessarily there but that's changed as the series that's has gone on it started San, off quite nasty San Junipero is a perfect example of that where it's all about that emotion and that relationship and yeah that. there's a warmth to it whereas I think the early like the, the Prime Minister fucking a pig one yeah. there's a sort of mm, like, spiky I, nastiness I, yeah, to us yeah. and it feels like there's a, there was a softening in San Junipero and it was just a Completely. beautiful love story and 
and and and really sad. Yeah. And and it and it throws up these ideas of like the, this uncomfortable future that we might be facing and the decisions that we'll have to make. Yeah. Like you know what happens when we start to live much longer in our relationships. Yeah. How how is that going to work? How does monogamy work when yeah. you live till 150 or 200 years old? Yeah, and, completely. And it's a it's just like a forum to explore that, and and I th- that sort of appeals to me a lot more than um, I don't know. Alter carbon seems just so violent, and I just th- didn't th- really work for me. The thing I enjoyed about altered carbon, and not to do a whole episode aside from his carbon, abs, aside from his amazing his statuesque body, ass, um, was just the fact it was. It was an old school, a private eye type thing. That right. There's a mystery, and I'm going to f- f- okay. figure it out. And I've not. It instantly made me go. I've not. I don't. I can't remember seeing anything like that in a long time outside right. of, of 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 European crime dramas. Mm-hmm. But again, that's it's still it's a crime drama rather than kind of. Yeah. We'll figure it out. See. Yeah, and, and yeah, it had yeah. That feeling, but in the future. So I enjoyed yeah. that. But yeah, I also completely get a lot of the the criticism of it. Oh, oh, what's your thoughts on st- Stranger Things? Because that's a divided one. Because yeah. it's drawing so much from the 80s mm. s- sci-fi that I get the feeling is where you you fell in love with it. Yet it is a modern mm. kind of thing. Again, it's got that warmth to it, Stranger Things, that yeah. I really like. It's got that sort of E.T., uh, Goonies, yeah, sort of feel-good yeah. factor. Um, obviously, the soundtrack, I mean, it's an obvious thing to say, but it is bloody brilliant. Yeah, it's I just think it's cool. It's just cool kids. Yeah. Um, and I think it's got, if they hadn't come up with the character of Eleven, it would be completely a run of the mill. Yeah. But that, that character feels like a character from an iconic 80s. Like if that was an yeah. 80s thing, then that would be in there with your carries and different things like that. Of yeah, your horrors absolutely. and stuff like that time that you're like, remember that character. It is like Carrie, you're right. Yeah. Yeah. And I love the fact that Winona Ryder is in it looking perpetually perplexed. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> it's cool. I mean, I really like Stranger Things. And it's got it's got that sort of surrealist fantasy element to it in a sort of Pan's Labyrinth way yeah. of those those sort of films that I also love, which is they're not quite sci-fi, but they're in, they're in this other sort of dimension. Yeah. They're in that sort of upside-down place, sort of almost in a Twin Peaks world, like the latest Twin Peaks was just mind-blowing for yeah. me and you wouldn't say it was science fiction everyone oh. says again that last series was just it's so good it's just so good and his sound design is so experimental and like fucking out there it's just like tv that i've never seen before in my life yeah but you wouldn't it's certain elements of black mirror i don't know if it's quite sci-fi it's more like fits into that twilight zone kind of yeah. tv Completely. where it's sort of fucked up weird stuff but like philip k dick's always playing playing with the ideas of like perception and is it a dream or is it a reality and yeah it's a it's you know it kind of straddles those those two worlds of surrealism and science fiction uh, have you watched any of the philip k dick electric dreams series? I did. I've, I've recorded all of them i've not watched any of them I... it, it feels like some of the casts in them are amazing. Mm. There's some amazing people in it, and obviously there are all these this, this, these mm. Philip K. Dick things. But how? how did I didn't. You, I didn't love it. You didn't love it. I didn't love it. I'm sorry. And what? And was it a kind of overall feel, or was it? Were there any kind of bl- black mirror type moments? And, um, oh, that one was cool, but that one was. 
Shit. Oh, I can't really remember. I sort of, I, I sort of didn't watch them all. Uh, the Timothy Spall one was quite good. It was quite dark and gritty and depressing. Yeah. Um, but it it's funny because now you have Black Mirror on Netflix and then you see the BBC budget compared to that or whatever. Yeah. Yeah. I'm not sure what channel it was, but it um, it didn't. You, you could see it. Yeah, it felt yeah. Doctor Who. Yeah, and I don't know now. Now I'm so used to stuff being like looking slick and wonderful. Yeah, and sci-fi is one that will s- suffer from that again. A it, genius thing yeah. is your strange things going. Oh, it's it's eighties. Yeah, which means you can have that feel because again, I can watch an eighties sci-fi film and it'll feel great. Mm-hmm. If I watch a modern sci-fi film that probably looks better than the 80s one but because it's modern you can't accept it, it yeah 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 tinny and, yeah and and rubbish so i mean we won't just 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 talk all day about sci-fi as, as we get we can t- towards an hour mark um or before <laughs> i'm gonna go a little bit more what would you think of as you uh, what comes to mind as your favorite sci-fi film i love solaris so right. much yes um i just love the uh, the fundamental questions of the human condition that it brings up but it's set in space on a spaceship and the aliens or the this alien planet is sort of probing these humans minds yeah. i've not watched it in ages oh it's so good so yeah. so yeah it's it's bringing back ghosts and um, yeah. it brings like brings back the character's dead wife and and then he tries to get rid of her he blasts her off into space and then she comes back again and sort of making the people on the spaceship sort of confront their deepest darkest um and that's 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 just the stuff i love and visually it's bloody beautiful and the soundtrack's incredible as well yeah Yeah. and i and i like um stalker so that, that i guess the sort of um tarkovsky films that are um, they're not big budget, fancy uh, looking things, and they're you know very talky. But yeah. they're just sort of he he's just had a really beautiful way of um, looking at nature and the human condition and yeah. existential questions. And he it just happened to be set in uh, the zone, which is like this sort of weird part of the world where yeah. a- aliens have taken over. Yeah, yeah, and. Yeah just weird shit happens but it's 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 more about the conversations between the humans um and then i love the I man who fell to earth the key though isn't it is, is realizing and i think it's something a lot of people or you can love or hate marvel films but i think where they've f- f- found something is where they've realized that superhero isn't the genre it's, yeah. it's just a mechanic that's in there that there's your ant-man which is like a rom-com and then mm-hmm. there's your 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 Logan, which is like a Western and, and things like that. And I think that's the key to good sci-fi. And it feels a lot of the modern stuff, the, the recent Cl- Cl- Cloverfield, again on Netflix, right. is an example where, again, I didn't hate it. I thought it was all right, but it was one where it felt like they've got one little idea and then they've made that the film rather mm-hmm. than having the drama and the relationships yeah, between yeah. the people. Even though Alien and the whole series was this amazing beast, it was... The 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 fear and the 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 drama that that Ridley w- yeah. was going through yeah. um, that 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 drove that along yeah. the fact that Scorny that her 
child, like her child had died while she's in stasis and all this. And there's all these motherhood mm-hmm. things going on there and all these dramas and then protectiveness. There's so much going on. It's not just, yeah. Imagine a really scary aliens attacking. Yeah. yeah, there's, yeah. There's, there's, that's part of it, but there's yeah. so much more in there. Yeah. And I'm, I mean, I love alien. Yeah. Um, I love the thing. I think the thing's yeah. brilliant. Um, I guess the films that are like before CGI takes over. So, like, the great thing about the thing is that it's all sort of you can see the handmade model yeah. element of it. And same thing with Blade Runner, you can see like the tactile model building yeah. elements of that world. And so much of the reliance on again the great all the greats of of horror kind of state. It's all about or what you don't see. Mm. But at that point, the hand was forced on that a lot. The hand yeah, was forced. Yeah. It was like, oh, we can't actually show you that. Yeah, so, yeah, so yeah. So it is yeah. all about, let's make it all But that that made it great. Whereas mm. now, there's the excitement of, uh, uh, look how great or scary we can make this look, or yeah. great we can make this look. It's like, but is it, or what's it adding, other than a few yeah, z- exactly. zeros onto the budget? Exactly. And then a good example is that of that is Mad Max, like yeah. the original Mad Max is, yeah where it's just like a few cars in the desert and yeah. it's mega low budget and you, there's nothing to indicate daunting, yeah. that it's it's set in the future. Yeah. There's like nothing visually to indicate. It's like um, I love those sort of dystopian films where yeah. it's like future primitive. I think that's what I liked about, or one of the things I liked about Mute, again, it's not like it's my f- film of the year or anything. I keep coming mm-hmm. back to Ward Carbon and Mute as if I'm defending them. They were both all yeah, right. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, but the thing in Mute was something that Mad Max had, was it was one of the first sci-fi films I'd seen in years that had stuff left over from the past. And mm-hmm. it hadn't occurred to me that so many sci-fi films seem to have this assumed premise that, well, we destroyed everything that's here now and built everything new. Like, again, in, mm. in, in Blade Runner or anything else, it's all so shiny and new and wonderful, mm-hmm. whereas Mute had some, some dirty old buildings and some, and some dirty old cars. And that was the, the beauty of Mad Max, was there was some futuristic elements, but loads of it was like... This is just what's left. Yeah, this exactly. Is, we've come to the future and we're running out rather than increasing mm. and improving. Yeah, yeah. Did, what, how do you feel about AI, the film? Um, the Spielberg one. Yeah, I liked it. Again, I've, I've not watched it in, in years, but I enjoyed it at <sighs> I the time. Love that film. Yeah. I love it. That's one of my favourites. And it, it just, I don't know why I love, love it so much. Because yeah. <laughs> it's not perfect, but I just moves me so much yeah. when I watch that Again, film. it's another one that's playing with a raw emotion of, of fear mm, of being yeah. caught out, of being found out, and this yeah. kind of thing. It's like this, it has you on the edge it's just like a that. little boy searching for his mum. Yeah. And then at the end, maybe think about it, because it's like just the whole the whole city is underwater. Yeah. yeah. And, you know, these are like the books that you read now, like if you've read Homo Sapien and all the books about like where Michio Koku... Um, books where are we in 100 years time like slightly terrifying futures I mean there's no I'd like to see some sort of utopian uh, sci-fi but then there's no drama like who wants to watch something where shit's going really well yeah it's all going great (laughs) so it's like everything has to be slightly uh, um, miserable there's a lot of sort of otherwise you get a demolition (laughs) man which I love for its kitchenness but again it's just this perfect world everyone's yeah yeah exactly and you have to bring people from the past to to cause the trouble and yeah um handmaid's tale is absolutely brilliant but oh my god it's it's horrific it's such a horrible watch um and 
you know, that's something that's incredibly relevant. You watch it. They've sort of brought something that I read at school into the future. So they're talking about Ubers and yeah. like relatable technology. Yeah. And it feels like um, part of why it's so terrifying. It's like that could happen or yeah. that is happening in certain parts of the world. Um, oh, it's horrible. Uh, did you say dr- 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 Dread? Um, yeah. I thought was so underrated. I, I really, really liked it as yeah. the, the cinematography of it. Everything was beautiful. Yeah. It's wonderful. It's the, the first film I'd seen in 3D that I felt the 3D added to it. Mm-hmm. That they'd actually done... That shot it, that used 3D for beauty rather than just, look at this. Yeah, ah, yeah, yeah. Surprise you. It's like the raindrops pouring on you as you watched it. Yeah. I really like Dread. Yeah. I really like, I quite even quite liked um, the remake of Robocop with the dude right. yeah. that you love from um, yeah. Alter Carbon. I've not, not seen it. How often is he naked? Because this mm, is going to He's my... only really got a head. <laughs> oh, oh. <laughs> I'll, I'll give it a miss. He's got a bionic body, though. So, <laughs> no, okay. Uh... You're piquing my interest. Um, so, I'll wrap things up. What, uh, what have you got planned for um, Space Space Rocks? rocks. Um, that's a very good question. Because it's a tough one. Do you just do w- 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 yeah. what you do? Because that's, that's, that's why they want you there. Yeah. Or do you bring in elements... And then there's that fear of, oh, are the elements I'm bringing in are the actual scientists? That going to be like, I know, she yeah, yeah. She, she, she yeah. bringing in, in science <laughs> stuff, and you're like, no, honestly, I'm. they have been so generous with me. So the ESA um, made the special. Oh, I'll go back. I saw Mark do a uh, presentation, and part of this video was um, the constellation of Orion sort of fast forward like thousands of years and yeah. I, was, I was like that was cool and he said if you like we can make it you know any length that you want and so i had this song did a cover of how deep is your love yeah. and it was six minutes long i was like well actually that would be really good for that could you make it six minutes so it turns out that stretch that to six minutes it's three million years and it's just the stars moving wow. apart and uh, it's very hypnotic, hypnotic and yeah. sort of trippy. So I use that, and then you can go to the ESA website and download videos, and you know it's all out there for free yeah. for anyone to use. And then Mark sort of gave me access to like the full length videos of stuff that I liked, oh, wow. sent them over. And so I made this video out of it. And I think what I'll do for the live thing is I'm going to have projections. So it's going to be sort of a big visual thing. And I'll I'll use a lot of the ESA um, space footage. Um, I'm going to hit Mark up for some stuff. He's been talking to me because he worked on the Rosetta mission. Right, yeah, of course. And he was like, there's lots of footage that yeah. can be used for that. And I'm just going to integrate it with the music. And then I'll use a lot of the footage of the video I did with Gavin. Yeah. And uh, see what happens. I love that subconsciously... You spoke earlier of feeling most at home on the drums in the background mm. and you've turned a solo performance into you essentially being in the background. I'd like to be in the if dark. The video, if, if, if the video is taken over. It is one of them where I've had, I've gone to see f- films before where there's a live score mm. and I always feel guilty for getting lost in the film. Mm. I, should, I feel I should be appreciating that there's a band here and doing this and that, but that's not the point. You're meant that's to be taken in and that kind of, if it feels like this, a, 
it's literally a solo show, yet mm. you kind of want everyone to be looking somewhere else. It's very true. It's a beautiful thing. It's a good <laughs> this thing, right? True. Come full circle. I mean, I you think... You found a way to make your solo stuff with you as a supporting artist yeah. as well. Yeah. That's... Yeah, it's probably my way of, like, just uh, shying away yeah. from the centre stage, definitely. But but then again, I just think it will look better. Yeah, completely. <laughs> it will look amazing. better than just... Um, I don't know, these days I'm like, I, I like seeing stuff that is interactive and yeah. I, I've seen loads of like live um, film scores yeah. and it's brilliant in fact I did one for the short film I did um, oh, yeah, I performed that live at the BFI as part of their space and science season that was amazing yeah. and I, I, I just thought I want to do stuff like this and if one thing that I wanted to do but I haven't had time to get it together is Gavin um, edited uh, it's like a sci-fi greatest hits of all these different sci-fi films and amazing. he put it together to 120 bpm and it's at 20 minutes and i'll eventually we will get it to like half an hour and then i've written the soundtrack to it oh wow and it's like proper industrial um (laughs) and i wanted to put that in the middle of the set and um and then i just thought just play your fucking record yeah stop um complicating matters because i think that's the thing is i i I, the danger of when you put a record out because i finished it a long time ago in my mind i'm like i want to do something else now i'm like people haven't really heard it and sometimes i've got to put the brakes on myself and be like just stand still and sing the song completely don't need to dress it up it is that's the only downside of being your own own boss in that situation Mm. and you release when you want you do the gigs when you want is in your mind these songs are getting older and older yeah only a handful of people have have got the chance yeah, to see them yeah, live yeah. before, so they're brand new to them. So yeah, you need absolutely. to give them that yeah. of respect, I guess. And I think it's that confidence thing of being like, you just singing a song with a guitar or piano or keyboard is enough, and yeah. not feeling like you have to like deliver something so mind blowing. Yeah, yeah. Um, sometimes the most powerful thing you can do is just strip it back. Yeah, completely. but I think that's. It's there's a such a bravery in that that I haven't quite. I'm going to have to sort of think about that. I think the key as well is if you can hold back the imposter syndrome enough. Is remembering mm. that there's loads more gigs to come. There's loads more ahead. So yeah. you can do a gig that is purely soundtrack in that thirty minute yeah. clip thing. Of it, it doesn't have to be. It's easy to get into the mentality of. But this is the big gig. Like, yeah, yeah, this yeah. This is the big gig at the moment. Yeah. This wasn't no. the big gig a year ago and it won't totally. be the big gig in a year's time. So totally. it's that kind of, that awareness of, right, I don't have to get everything in this. I can it's do so this true. for its standalone thing. Yeah. And then, then the next thing is the big gig. Yeah. That get excited about. That's the good thing about working with other people because my focus isn't completely on yeah. my record. Yeah. Um, and it does take the edge off it because I think if it was you, I would be worrying every single day about this gig. Yeah, and instead, yeah, I'm like, I, don't, oh, I can't, I can't think about everything. I'll figure it out. Yeah, it'll be, it'll be fine. And it'll be I can't. Yeah, I really can't wait to do it. And then hopefully, there's there's another gig during the second um, Long Division Festival. I think Billy Bragg's playing that, which would be cool. And yeah. then you know, hopefully, other ones will come in. Yeah, that's great. Well, thank you very much for your time. Thank you. Keep up with you online or throw sci-fi films at you to 
to see if you've seen yeah. and see your opinion. Um, well, I'm on Instagram, Charlotte Heatherly, Twitter, see Heatherly79. Um, I have got a website, but yeah, mostly through Facebook as well, Charlotte Heatherly Official. Perfect. Um, and the album's called True Love. Well, thank you very much. Thank Cheers. you. It's been lovely. Thanks for having me. You've been listening to Scroobish Picks Discretion and Pieces. There we go. That was episode 199. People often ask if why I don't ever have people on the podcast I disagree with. I think you will hear that me and Charlotte disagreed hugely on how sexy the man from Altered Carbon was um, and how that, um, you know, m- made up for any shortcomings in that may be perceived in any other way um so there we do i do all the time there's these hard we we talk about the hard stuff and we debate it that was charlotte um as said go and check out space rocks april 22nd at the indigo 2 i think i've got the date right but you just google space rocks festival and you'll find it it looks like a lot of fun for the the family and everyone involved. So that'll be great. I'll be back next week with episode 200. It's very excited, isn't it? Um, do get tickets for the the Wells Comedy Festival as well, please. Distraction Pieces podcast there. The show revolves around you guys being there and you guys engaging and being part of it. So I really hope you come. <laughs> I'm driving a long way. It's a four or five hour drive. I've got my club night the night before, but... It seemed like a cool one to do. I've not done anything out that way um, in a long, long time, so I thought it'd be it'd be good fun. So hopefully I'll see some of you there, and um, yeah, have fun. See you later. Bye.